You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 109, Prevention, Saving Up for a Rainy Day. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, we've had a constant, uh, maybe not constant, but certainly a continual conversation during this entire podcast, all 100 plus episodes now, of the importance of prevention. And, you know, we all recognize the importance of rescuing survivors and of responding after the fact. And we also are really focused on how can we prevent the issues from happening in the first place. And that's a big part of our work. And I know that's going to be part of the focus of our conversation today. Exactly. And the idea of developmental assets as a piece of prevention is not something new, but I want to look at it in the context of the issues that drive vulnerability among young people, whether it's here in America or in um, a place like Nepal with our guest speaker on the last podcast. Um, How can we put some assets aside that they can draw on when they face difficult times. You know, the whole idea that saving up for a rainy day. We can, as uh, adults in our communities, contribute to the prevention of acts of just despicable exploitation, whether it's for commercial sex or labor trafficking, child slavery and forced labor. And so what we're looking at today is a way for us to be very strategic at an earlier, earlier point in someone's story so that they may never become a statistic. And that is, uh, takes a greater um, awareness of the scope of the issues. And you said something early on uh, when you started talking, Sandy, that was a phrase that I see in your notes here, and I'm not really familiar with, is developmental assets. And so um, before we get into some of the meat of what we're talking about today, can you just help me frame what is what is a developmental asset and how does that relate to our conversation about human trafficking? Well, we understand that as you... Um, grow child development, um, and you are certainly seeing this firsthand with your two children, um, they have strengths that contribute to their resiliency. And one of the strengths I remember from having kids as young as yours is making sure that these kids were able to self-soothe when they were anxious. Do Do they have some good strategies in place to deal with, um, things that create anxiety? And um, are, are your kids able to play alone or do they require an, um, uh, a tablet or a person engaging them and entertaining them all the time? And so some of those issues that are related to self-control and 
and resiliency are part of the developmental process. And if we build those in early, they're going to deal with challenges that face them every day. It's a part of normal life in a much more resilient fashion. So in this particular application of uh, using developmental asset, asset, I'm going to say that again, in this particular framework of using developmental assets for prevention of human trafficking, we're going to look at shifting from fixing problems to promoting strengths. It's really a strength-based approach. Okay, that makes sense. So this is, that's where we're going from the saving for a rainy day is that this is really the proactive, preventative, how do we build up the strength and the foundation in order to equip a person, uh, especially young people with the tools that will help them to, you know, not, not get involved in these situations in the first place. Am well, I, am I, yeah. And Dave, if there? you can think of how you feel at the end of a really intense, um, meeting mm-hmm. and you, you walk away, um, with this sense of, I am so drained. I don't have any energy, Um, I could have handled that better if I'd have been prepared to do this. Um, And then there are certain life experiences that I think we probably have listeners who get into a situation and they realize, I don't know what to do. And I don't have anything to draw on to help me process this. Got it. Got it. So it's, it's, it's creating that foundation, I guess, is the best word, really. Yeah. You know, if you're thinking about a house, it's creating that foundation that, um, you know, we know the storms are going to come, the earthquakes, those those kinds of things in, in, you know, like the environment. And so the foundation is there not to necessarily prevent those things, but to, but to um, guard against the damage that might be caused. Exactly. And the um, another way of looking at this is if you're a gardener, and many of us, we even if we live in the city, we want to grow our own tomatoes. And this year with the drought in California, our, our little um, harvest was pitiful. Mm. But we always are looking at how we'll get a better harvest. And so when we plant our little garden, we want to make sure the bugs don't get it. And so one of the first things people often do is spray for the bugs or find some kind of technique to keep the, um, the animals away from our little beautiful tomatoes. And we work on um, trying to grow tomatoes based on preventing anyone or anything attacking our tomatoes. But any real farmer will tell you the soil that you plant that tomato in has to be nutrient rich. And you've got to plant where it's going to get the right amount of sunlight. And in a, you may need to have, when it's really young, some windbreakers if you're in a, in a real windy area near the beach or something. So the, the developmental aspects of this illustration really transfer to kids who are growing up as well. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, and these, um, and you've, you've framed this in, in looking at uh, some of the documents here that you've shared with me. 
as uh, by the way are these will these be available to people yes, will we post we these? are okay. going to put the um, links to the search institute that has a developmental asset chart that we'd like you to to check out and we're going to talk about a little bit as well okay good and so i see this is framed into two different boxes essentially we've got external assets and internal assets so um Let's talk about what the distinction are between the two of these and and how do you look at this when you're thinking about developing the the adolescent, Sandy, and, and thinking about some of these issues? Well, we can go back to your illustration of a foundation. And when you look at the external assets, these include things like family support, um, adult relationships, caring neighborhood caring school climate in uh, family involvement in schooling. Do you see how, how those are all things outside and around the child? Mm, I do. And the ideas you go even further down this list of um, family boundaries, school boundaries, neighborhood boundaries. These are pieces of an external environment that contribute to a more resilient model for a child. And when we are trying to to make sure that this child is growing up in a nutrient-rich environment, just like our little tomato plant, um, we're going to make sure there are adult role models, that they, um, they have neighborhoods that are safe, and if the parents are not part of their family at this point, many of our most at-risk kids are in some sort of child welfare um, environment, either in a foster home, a group home, and that is sometimes equated with um, higher risk, and sometimes people attribute their exploitation particularly in the um, minor sex trafficking arena, as a result of being a foster child. And I, I really want to move away from that because when a child is removed from a dangerous environment because of family violence, because of familial substance abuse, um, that child is removed for their, for their, uh, for their best interest. And placing them in another situation is is our community attempt to provide a wholesome environment for them. That is not an easy thing to do. And no, certainly not. And at the same time, it's probably we have more control over that than we do some of the internal areas. Um, I, my sense is looking at this list that the internal things tend to come more with time as we approach the external, uh, the external factors and do those well, then those internal assets start to develop more consistently. Actually, that is exactly what I'm thinking because those internal um, uh, developmental assets are things like um, motivation to achieve and uh, a student who wants to do their homework and is excited about that positive approach. The If you're trying to encourage a student to do their homework so they can achieve and do well, and that child is living in a motel where um, they're sharing 
a room with three other children and two adults, their, their external assets don't support the internal achievement that you talk to them about. Yeah. So Dave, pretend like you're, you're the, the school teacher and you see a kid with a lot of potential and you want to encourage them. So you give them that, you go for it speech. Now they go home and they don't have the access to the kind of environment that promotes that. Right. And I, um, I become frustrated with people who, who want to go and talk to kids about um, and motivate them to do better, to, to believe in themselves, and, and those kinds of wonderful, highly motivated conversations. But if we don't get the first 20 developmental assets in place, it's going to be very difficult to see the second 20. But it really um, it highlights and reminds me, Sandy, and we've talked about it so many times on the show of the how many things really do contribute as, as contributing factors long term to people getting involved with human trafficking. Um, like we've talked about before, homelessness and some of the other, fa- but even well before that, there's many of these things, if they're not in place, um, ultimately start to create situations where kids and young people don't have the support to really develop some of those internal assets. And that's hard. That's just a, that's a a really big obstacle. And if you're listening to this podcast and you've been trying to figure out where it is, you need to remember our, our beautiful illustration of the Pithati jar, the great big jar with handholds all over it. You've been trying to figure out where your place is and you have a heart to, um, and a passion to see kids rescued and to be, to serve those kids. What if, what if you became part of a developmental external asset for one kid? Would that be enough for you? Would that be enough for that child? That I think is part of the key to prevention is connecting the adults in our community with the external developmental assets framework. So look at the different things that a person could be involved in on that, those first 20, they could be involved in the, the, um, the community around the child, and they would be possibly involved in how those children use their time, um, empowering Efforts. A lot of times the programs for after school are key in creating boundaries for kids who have no place to go because there's no one at home. What if you, you just gave up one afternoon a week to volunteer at an after school program? Yeah, and that is arguably as important in our work against human trafficking, Sandy, as the folks out there who are working with survivors. Because the survivor is maybe the most apparent issue today, but without the boundaries, without the the work to develop those assets of some of those children could be the victims of tomorrow. And so I, I, I like the fact that we've always looked at this issue as a very broad, you know, it's not just about after the fact, it's how do we 
create the kind of school environment, society, family relationships, support networks, partnerships that we've talked about so many times that really are also part of the human trafficking equation, not just, you know, not just the things we see in the news stories and in the media, which also obviously are very part of it too. So um, I, I, and this is the kind of thing too, Sandy, that I love this list because this is something that almost anyone can do. Almost anyone can affect some change here, even within your own home. I mean, there are things here. I look at this list, Sandy, as far as just um, positive family communication and family support and having a caring neighborhood. Those are the kinds of things that just about all of us can contribute to in some way, especially those of us who have kids in our homes and in our neighborhoods. There's an opportunity for us for sure. And you may not be involved in a, a current existing situation where a trafficker is trying to recruit a young person from a neighborhood that you are part of. You may not be there. But if you've been building into that child, into that young person, then they have someone to call. They have a trusted adult. That's one of the key parts of having an external um developmental asset that will be the difference between them thinking, well, I might as well, who cares? Or, oh, you know, Dave, uh, I should run this by Dave before I go take that job. Because Dave really is smart and he is always interested in in what I'm doing. Mm. And so here he is at a, at a crossroads and he has someone to go back and get some feedback. And that is not going to happen by showing up um, after the fact or handing kids out um, a list of seven red flags. They have, they have to have somebody to process it with. Right, and have trust with them and have an existing relationship. Those, are, those open the doors and the, and the, uh, the opportunities for conversation to prevent those things from happening in the first place. So um, if you scroll up, because we're looking at the, the website right now, there is a pie diagram about youth experiencing each level of the developmental assets. And the, let's look at what does um, the, the research show. And Dave, you want to go through that? By ages. Sure. And as, ages. I, as I look at this pie chart, Sandy, to go off on a slight tangent, I just saw uh, my wife Bonnie post uh, on Twitter the other day her favorite pie chart, which is a pie chart of a pie. <laughs> and there's a piece out of it. And on the, the, there's a, there's, it's two sections of the pie chart. One is the pie I have eaten and the pie I have not yet eaten. So oh, whenever I think great. of pie charts, I just cannot help but think of real pie. <laughs> So very now, good. Very now to good. actually relate that to what we're talking about, which is um, youth experiencing each level of the developmental assets. So these are the ages, Sandy. If I'm if I'm correct, are are these ages zero to ten? Um, no, actually, this is how many assets does a child have. And what are the percentages in our population here? This is a U.S. based study. Oh, got it. Got it. Okay. So children who have between zero and ten, there are forty total. Uh, children who have between zero and ten are thirteen percent. Thankfully, a pretty small number, but still thirteen percent. Um, Eleven through twenty are thirty-nine percent. So that's more than half the population right there who have less than half of these. 
developmental assets is, let's see if I do some quick addition, that's 52% of the population has less than half of these. Absolutely. That's, so that's critical. That's, that's a, yeah, that's a, cha- that's a challenge. So then um, 21 to 30 of them are another 37% and who have more than three quarters of them between 31 and 40 is, is only 11% of the population, Sandy. So the, you know, only one in 10 kids have more than three quarters of these developmental assets. So that's, that's an opportunity. It's a challenge, but it's also a huge opportunity for what we're talking about today and how we can contribute to, um, to adding to these assets. And like you said, saving for a rainy day and developing them. And when these kids are exposed to significant challenges, the number of assets that have been deposited into their lives has a direct correlation to their vulnerability. So it's my understanding that some of the most effective use of our time is to make deposits for kids in our own neighborhoods. The idea that only 11% of all of our youth experience more than 30 that are in that 30 to 40 asset range is a a statistic that makes me question some of our ideas about who is a vulnerable youth. Yes, poverty is a piece of it, but um, the socioeconomics of all of our youth um, doesn't place 89% in low socioeconomic concerns. So there are kids in affluent situations who are not having the kind of deposits made on their developmental asset account that would protect them in situations where they may not um, make good decisions. So we want to promote the kind of youth success that comes with having these resources. Well, and this is normally the point in the show, Sandy, where I say something like, wow, this looks like a really good model. So what can we do with it? You know, what's our first step if we're, uh, and I hope people do go on the website, download this document, we'll have it available so you can see the pie chart and you can see all the numbers. And and most importantly for this conversation, you can see what the assets are because those are, those are really critical for what we're talking about. Um, what's the starting point here? If I'm, if I'm thinking, okay, how could I, how can I help either my neighborhood or the kids in our home or maybe in our neighbor's home or in our school to develop these? Where should we start? I think that a good place to start is with your local school. Find out what is their prevention um, strategy. Uh, In Department of Education here in Orange County, there is a prevention coordinator, and I just want to make a shout out to Stacey Diebel Reynolds, who has been my mentor this whole year on best practices for prevention. This is how you can find out what's happening in your school. Find out what's going on there and how you can plug into what's already existing. That's kind of our mantra. Don't start your own. Get involved with what's happening there. And then secondly, um, I believe that we can become more focused on some ordinary experiences that help children. There is a new book that came out called Ordinary Magic 
Resilience and Development by Dr. Ann G. Maston. And she says that we can't prevent all adversity in the lives of children in our care. And she actually, this is a direct quote, thus it is imperative to understand how to protect children from the worst ravages of adversity and how to promote positive development when rearing conditions are not optimal. Mm. So you have two divisions of developmental assets. That first division of external assets, that's where we actually have pieces in our lives where we can contribute to that foundation you um, talked about at the beginning of the show. And I want to encourage us as an, as an action step to go through the whole 40 developmental assets and maybe do an evaluation in your own life. Did I have these as a kid growing up? Did I know for sure that there was an adult that I could talk to? And then look at the kids around us and see, are, are their accounts low in a particular area? E- educate yourself first and then evaluate those around you. I really like the idea of looking at it from our own perspective first, too, because, I mean, as I look at this list, there's a lot of them that I'm grateful for that were there. And there's also, you know, a few here that I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, that would that have been something that for for, you know, sometimes my reasons, sometimes the uh, environment around me that just wasn't there as much. And so that's a that's a great perspective just to start from of, you know, what did I have? How can I contribute to this? Where can I add value? And um, and I and I really like that quote, too, Sandy. Uh, when I worked in the education industry with kids bef- before the work I'm doing now, it, um, you know, I, I remember we had a very big focus with our kids on working on um, not preventing difficulty or challenges, but helping kids to learn to work through challenges and the importance of doing that and, and allowing them to um, hit obstacles and to struggle in a safe way. So they develop the resiliency to be able to respond and to bounce back. And that's such a critical it's such a critical um, asset for kids to be able to develop and to be able to to take with them through their entire lives. When you're looking at these external assets, Dave, I want you to spend some time on the empowerment set because... Because I have trouble with empowerment, is that what well, you're saying? Well, no, but <laughs> um, I want people to, <clears throat> to understand... That. You could just come out and say it so if, you, <laughs> if you're disappointed in my empowerment oh, skills. Well, I think you're pretty good because I've watched you with Luke and you <laughs> you empower him to take risks, but he knows he's safe. And in that power we empowerment do. model, safety may be the last category, but it is critical. Kids can't take risks unless they know for sure they're going to be safe. And empowerment is not just saying, here's an opportunity, and all the kids could have come to this after-school program. Well, maybe they really couldn't. Maybe it really wasn't safe. Maybe there was someone at home who um, was going to punish them if they participated in that program. So when we do empowerment, we not only want to talk about opportunities, we want to talk about access. And as the adult, the non-familial adult maybe in certain circumstances, we take a little bit of extra time in the empowerment model by making sure everything is safe. I love it. And I think that there's so many things here that I, as I look through the list, Sandy, I mean, there's 
there's things here I think all all of us would look at and we're like, okay, we're we're good there. And there's also things I think almost all of us would look at and I'm like, oh, I could do better at that. I could do better of creating that external environment for kids that would really support this in a positive way. And you, I love the word positive because that um, the last category in the external development asset um, chart is constructive use of time. And so if you tell kids, wow, you waste all your time, um, you've got to give them something to substitute for their downtime. And this chart recommends three or more hours per week in a creative activity. Mm, There is is a, a renewed interest in music and the arts and schools. And maybe you don't need to go and start something new. Maybe there's already um, a music program or a drama program, an art program that you can volunteer at so that they can accommodate more more kids at a more reasonable budget. The other area where uh, kids... Or bring song into your house as you're doing chores and doing dinner of singing. I mean, we have a, a music teacher that works with our young kids we go to a music class once a week and there's a bunch of kids and one thing she always says she's like you know this isn't anything fan for a two or three year old doesn't need to be anything fancy and we're talking about adolescence here in this conversation but um just start singing around the house that's just that's as great as the exposure sometimes to a music class and writing their own words to a song use the music again and let them create their own sports are another way to um uh, mold constructive use of time, develop some discipline, those kinds of things. Um, there is on this chart, the constructive use of time includes an hour a week in a religious institution activity. And that has been shown to be a contributing factor to these 40 developmental assets. Um, this category limits the hanging out with friends as a constructive use of time. We want our kids to have friends. We want them to um, develop those social skills. But this category actually, as a developmental asset, limits hanging out with friends to two or fewer times a week. How does that strike you, Dave? You know, it's it's so interesting to think about that question because our kids are so young still that I don't really have a good sense of that. Um, but it it certainly is less time than I spent hanging out with kids when I was, you know, a little bit older than our kids are now. So yeah, it seems like less. So yeah, it's in, it's interesting to think about that in the context of uh, our children and just the neighborhood and all those kinds of things that they'll be experiencing as they go over the next few years. So this kind of recommendation gives us an opportunity to put our mantra into place, study this issue and figure this out. Yeah, exactly. But you wouldn't want to start limiting how much time they hang out with friends unless you're creating other opportunities for them. Exactly. The sports, the arts, those kinds of things. So um, spend some time, look at the developmental asset charts, and then see if you can make deposits for a rainy day for a child, uh, an adolescent in your community. That is prevention. Well, speaking of developmental assets, I mean, that's it's really so much in tune with the framework that we approach the show with Sandy is that our goal is like you said, study the issues, be a voice and make a difference. But the study of the issues comes first and that we're developing, um, you know, forgive me overusing the word here, but our own assets of, 
of what our knowledge, our understanding of this issue is, the complexity involved, and also how we can be uh, influencers in preventing and contributing in a positive way. And mm -hmm. so. I'm really glad that um, that you've given me that opportunity to be a part of the Sandy and to um, and to have that message. And I I hope that you will do the same as well as you're thinking about human trafficking and the context for your learning and your development. That you'll take this as as a piece of developing that skill set and to continue to add value to this conversation. And you know we're always open to questions from you. And the best way to reach us is by email, gcwj at vanguard.edu. That's for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. And our phone number, if you would like to chat with us live, 714-966-6360. You actually probably chat with Nadia first. That's right. Uh, who's fabulous. And then, uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll get in touch with you as well, too, if, uh, if it makes sense. And... You know, Sandy, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you, and I can't wait for our next conversation here in uh, two weeks. Thank you, Dave. Take care, everyone. <laughs>